God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. Well, God bless and welcome to another episode of Family Discussion. My name is Marcos Ortega, and as always, I am joined by the ever-gracious Lisa Spencer. Lisa, how are you doing today? I'm good. You know what? I like that one. Ever, gra- ever gracious yeah i think this is the first time i think this is the first time i've heard you use it i haven't used that one yet uh, i it is something that i'm trying to aspire to be because i am so often not gracious but you always seem so gracious you're gracious to me anyway and uh so it is great to be with you on an episode we did not plan on recording an episode that is not a part of a season we are doing a special episode today lisa we don't do this very often no we don't and it's fun it's going to be fun. I hope so. So, um, you know, so if folks are expecting this to go along with our systematic theology walk through issues of social justice, they will be sorely, sorely disappointed. That's not what we're doing. It's a special episode. We are calling this episode hashtag why we stay. Uh, if you have been on social media over the last few weeks and months, you have seen uh, some folks who have uh, used a hashtag called Leave Loud, and they have told their story about why they are leaving reformed and evangelical spaces. Um, and I want to get something straight right from the get-go. This is not in any way a response to or a repudiation of those stories. Um, to leave is a totally fair decision that these brothers and sisters are making, and I have no, I have no argument with that. Um, but there are more people of color in uh, predominantly white evangelical or white reform spaces who choose to stay. And that's what we're going to talk about today is why would people stay after, especially we hear some of the stories of what folks face in some of these spaces. And so, Lisa, I'm going to kick it to you um, to not only give us a little bit of a glimpse into why you stay in these spaces, but also to introduce a very special guest. Yes. Well, I am going to kick it off with our very special guest who is a dear friend of mine, a uh, dear, uh, dear friend of me, me and my husband's. Uh, he and his wife, Sophia, and their children. Um, they are, as, as you know, many of the listeners know, I'm fairly newly married. I moved to Roanoke in January 2019 at the end after we got married. And, and so this family was, um, has just embraced me and... Um, you know, I, I just have really cherished their friendship, um, you know, in the few years that I have known them. But even more better, um, Glenn Burkle uh, is joining us. And he is not only a dear yay. friend. Yay! He's not only a dear friend, but he's also a ruling elder 
at Christ the King Presbyterian Church, where yours truly is a member. All right, all right, hold on, hold on, because here's the thing. Not only Presbyterians listen to this. What One of you... And what is a ruling elder for okay, those who I'm, don't know? I, I'm going to, I'm going to let Glenn answer that question. Uh, but welcome Glenn uh, to the show. So tell our listeners, for, especially for those who are not in Presbyterian churches, what is a ruling elder? All right. Um, I wasn't expecting that question, but happy to answer that one. Um, Always so, got to be ready to teach brother. Always got to be ready to teach. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Um, uh, so the best way to describe it is in, in uh, Presbyterian Church, um, we have what's called representative uh, leadership. And uh, so um, we have our, our pastor, um, which we would call a teaching elder. And then um, we have deacons. Um, and then we have ruling elders. Um, so we function as uh, leaders in the church, teachers, um, those who, who get to exercise authority, shepherd, um, and come alongside our pastor in um, caring for, for the church. And so Glenn, let me ask you a question because in line with our, our episode for today and what we're focused on, how long have you been in the PCA and how long have you been a ruling elder? Um, so I have been in reform circle since 1998. Um, actually, I guess 1997. Um, that's when I lived in Maryland. Um, our church at the time was actually OPC. It was actually moving towards the PCA. Um, and uh, I like to say I've been brand loyal ever since. So I'm um, going on 23, 24 years. Wow. And when were you ordained uh, ruling elder? Um, so when we lived in the uh, previous state I lived in, um, in Tennessee, I was a ruling elder there for a couple of years. And then at Christ the King, I've been a ruling elder since, I guess, a year, maybe 18 months after we moved here. So going on nine years. Ruling elder. That, is, that, is that right? Nine years is not just nine years attending, but nine years as a ruling elder. Minus my one-year sabbatical, yes. Wow. Okay. So, so you're. I, I mean, and, and again, for folks who are not in Presbyterian circles, um, the ruling elder. You use the word shepherd here. You have a, a pretty profound role of caring for the congregation, of making sure that they are spiritually nourished and walking faithfully after the Lord. Um, you oversee discipline cases sometimes, which is one of the most, you know kind of a hard and painful roles of the elder, but you're, it's a really important thing. So to be a ruling elder is to be deeply embedded in the life of a church. And um, so I just wonder if you could explain your, tell us your experience. What has your experience been like, um, not just at Christ the King, but in, in the PCA as a whole? Um, so uh, it's been an interesting uh, uh, journey, and, and maybe if I can jump back real quick just to talk a little bit about my background. Um, my parents are from the Caribbean, um, so I'm a first-generation American. Um, and uh, so just growing up, just even my experience being African-American in this country is different than, than even others, and that's, that's something I had to learn. So, you know, for a lot of my um, youth, I actually grew up thinking that American blacks were lazy, um, which is like, you know, how can, how can this guy think that? Um, and it wasn't until I went to Howard University 
um, for college that I really began to understand and see um, the black experience in America, particularly as an African-American. Um, you know, as I said, my parents are from the Caribbean. So, you know, just looking at our history, right? When slavery ended, slavery ended. You know, we didn't have Jim Crow and segregation and all that other stuff. So when my dad moved here in 1968, he certainly experienced racism, but the way in which he, um, you know, embraced that and attacked that was certainly different because of his experiences growing up. And so, you know, that got passed, passed along to, uh, to us. And so I say that to say when I, you know, I was used to being um, uh, marginalized probably isn't the right word at this point, but I was definitely used to being, you know, different and other, you know, even, you know, growing up, you know, there was three black kids in my entire school, kindergarten through eighth grade, you know, me and my two brothers. And even when I got to, to high school and there was certainly more ethnic diversity, I was one of the only few ones that were Caribbean. So even in sometimes in contexts where I was in majority African-American contexts, you know, I still felt kind of lonely and left out, um, which was which was kind of interesting to process. Um, but so that's a little bit of my background. But when I first came to um, that OPC church in, in, in Maryland, this was Silver Spring, Maryland. And so, you know, it was OPC, but we had probably 20 different people groups or countries represented in that congregation. Wow. Um, you know, at that time, our pastor um, was doing work with um, an AME church in DC. He had been um, talking a lot with Randy Neighbors, who was starting um, a new city in Chattanooga. Um, and so, you know, we would, once a, a quarter, we would have a potluck with that church. Um, our pastors would, would alternate pulpits um, from time to time. So, you know, as I was newly becoming a Christian and, and, and in that environment, I was like, oh, okay, that's, <laughs> that's church, that's PCA, like, all right. <laughs> um, so then we moved to Louisiana, um, which is a completely different um, environment. Mm. Um, and mm. that was uh, really the first time in which I, you know, I and our family was the only um, in, wow. in that particular church. And, uh, just getting there was actually interesting. So this was 1999. Um, this is all around Monica Lewinsky and that whole scandal. And um, Representative Livingston um, from Louisiana was the, I guess, the prosecutor in the case. And it turned out that he was having an affair. And so he uh, had to resign. And so his seat was up for election. So I remember the first time we we're going to visit this church and we pull off the exit to go to the church. And every 50 feet, we would see signs, vote David Duke, vote David Duke, vote David Duke. Wow. <laughs> <You know? laughs> wow. So I'm like, I'm like, man, we can't be going to no church like this. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm sorry. It just that took a turn I was not expecting. Oh, man. All right. And, and so <laughs> and so I'm like, man, all right, sweetheart, if we, if we roll up in this church and there's a bumper sticker, I'm like, we're bouncing. <laughs> I, I, I ain't dealing with all this. And then a couple of these were getting ready to pull in the lot. You know, something changed in my mind. And I was just like, I want to see a sign. I want to see a bumper sticker because I want to have a conversation with that individual. Um, because one of the things that um, is important to me in, in, in every context, right, is we've got to be willing to have hard conversations, right? Um, and so if there is somebody who feels that way, um, this is, you know, my family member then let's have the hard conversation. 
Um, we didn't see any bumper stickers, um, but uh... Uh, yeah. I, so, so before we keep going with the story, because there's some there's some things <laughs> to digest here. <laughs> um, I mean, the first is you were in OPC Church, you said in Maryland, mm-hmm. um, and the OPC Church was involved in uh, cross cultural ministry. Was involved in the life of people who were in the city. Um, what, what that teaches, I think, and, and reminds me is um, we have to be very careful with the assumptions we make of people in their denominations, because if you think of the OPC, you don't necessarily immediately think cross-cultural ministry, uh, but here they are. And I think there's a good lesson in that, um, because people can sometimes have, a, a, a based on their denomination, they can immediately come to a whole bunch of conclusions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. All right. I think we lost Lisa for a second. I was going to kick it to her. <laughs> Let's. All right. So here's the other thing that I wanted to that that I wanted to just kind of. You said you wanted to have the conversation. Is there a line though, like supporting the Grand Wizard of the KKK feels like we're past conversations. So Glenn, walk walk through why you would even be willing to walk into that space of of having a conversation. Um. Well. Certainly that would be an initial conversation. We had, this was our first time visiting the church. Um, so I think in that context, it's probably a little bit different than, you know, had we been there for a while and, and somebody started, you know, saying, hey, I'm thinking this is a good idea and then decided to continue to pursue that. So I guess that'd be my initial response. Um, some people say I like confrontation. I wouldn't say I like confrontation, but I don't shy away from confrontation. And I do really feel we need to press difficult conversations. So if we are going to move forward in this particular issue, right, when we talk about race and we've got a lot of history and a lot of baggage and all, all sorts of things, um, we have to be intentional and be willing to engage in conversations, even ones that might be difficult. It, doesn't necessarily mean that I would have had the conversation and, and necessarily stayed. Um, but I think it's, it's important to at least be willing to have the conversation and engage in trying to have the conversation. Mm-hmm. So um, let, let's keep going with the story then. So you're in Louisiana, you've gone yep. to this church. Um, how long were you there before you found yourself going up to Virginia? Um, so we were there for six years, then we actually moved to Tennessee, um, and we were there in Tennessee for six years, um, and then we moved to uh, Virginia about ten and a half years ago. Um, and so, again, all those churches in Tennessee, we were, were the only African-American family, um, and in Virginia, we were for, uh, I don't say initially, our pastor at the time, he actually had two African-American daughters that they had adopted, um, so, so we weren't the only, but it was, you know, my six and his two. Um, but then when he left, um, <laughs> our family was the only until I guess over the last three or four years, we probably had another eight or nine. Um, when, it, as far as African-American, we've certainly had some Hispanic and, and Asian and, and things like that. But I guess the, the one thing that was different, um, in Virginia for us personally, Virginia was kind of the first time in which every context in which we were in, we were the only. So church, school, um, you know, a lot of the things that we did socially, a lot of it was tied to school and and our kids' sports. Um, And that was a different dynamic. Um, And so in 
in none of the churches did we ever feel like we were the only. Um, but certainly, you know, being in Virginia, where in every context we were the only, you know, we probably had more candid conversations with our church friends about kind of what that felt like. Um, and, um, you know, overwhelmingly that's been positive. Um, you know, there's always going to be stuff when you talk about any issue where people are like, I don't get what you're talking about. Um, but, um, you know, I would say the overwhelming majority of our experiences that people are like, I really don't understand this. Help me, help me understand more. Um, so that's been encouraging. So, uh, yeah, thanks for sharing that, Glenn. But, and here's my question, you know, especially given the number of years that you've been in the PCA and different churches. And I know I can attest just the two years that I've been at CTK, you know, folks have been, um, you know, for the most part, you know, rather accepting and wanting to learn and everything, um, you know, the positive um, response that we got to our class. And I forgot to uh, announce this in the introduction, Glenn and I, co-taught a class in the fall through Zoom on racial healing. So if you thought we, you know, if you think it was one of those where we're bringing in, you know, the latest and greatest, whatever's out there, it's not. It was the Bible, right? And an honest look at history and how sin works. So uh, it was a very fruitful class. I actually learned a lot from Glenn during that time. Um, but I do know that, you know, because look, churches are different, right? We can't really use that one, you know, the one experience at CTK as sort of the model for everything else. So, so Glenn, talk to us about some frustrations that you have experienced, um, you know, during your time in the PCA. Yeah, sure. And again, I would say overwhelmingly, the majority of the conversations have been good um but yeah there certainly have been ones that are are difficult and and when i say good it doesn't necessarily mean that we saw eye to eye from from the get-go right there's been a lot of, of conversations i'd probably say the majority have been ones where we didn't see eye to eye on this issue and a lot of it was just you know people just didn't know right um and, and so you know over the course of of relationships um you know folks have gotten a, a better understanding um, but I would say, I think a lot of the frustrations are probably similar to, to what, you know, you, you might've experienced and others might've experienced just the, you know, the things like, you know, if, if Sophia is kind of talking, you know, about, you know, Trayvon Martin or, or, you know, was a young man that was actually killed by the police a mile from, from where I'm sitting right now in our church, um, you know, the response, well, you don't have to worry because your boys aren't like that or your husband's not like that. Um, and just not really people having any understanding of, um, you know, what, <laughs> how that even makes sense to, to make a comment like that. Um, or, you know, people that would say, um, you know, racism is, is kind of a thing of the past. Um, it's not really an issue right now, which I don't even understand how one could theologically make that statement as though there's any sin that's fully addressed and taken care of this side of glory. Um, so that aside, um, <laughs> so, um, and then there has been, um, I would say, I would say some other frustrations are just kind of being dismissive 
um, you know, when we try to talk about issues. And there has been some blatant in, in outright, um, I can think of an experience, um, this actually turned out to be positive, but, you know, where the N-word was used um, towards my son um, by, by a kid at church. And, you know, the, the mom was, you know, overly apologetic and, and the dad and, you know, they immediately addressed the issue. And, you know, she had made the comment, you know, I can't believe that something like this happens in church or, you know, church is not the place that this should happen. And my response was church is exactly where this should happen because we have the language, we have the context, we have the, the structure in which to deal with this. Um, and, and so as painful as that was, um, the, the ability to be able to, to work through that in the context of the church body was, was very helpful. Um, there, so go Glenn, ahead. Let me ask a question about that real quick. Cause there, there would be those who would say that church should effectively be a safe space where you don't have to be on guard uh, against things like that. Um, and you're, you're seeming to say the opposite that actually, no, that's where we have to work this out. So, so how would you respond to those who are saying, well, but I don't want to have to be on guard. I'm at church. I want to be able to just worship. I don't have to want to have to worry that something like that's going to come my way. I guess without sounding oversimplistic, I mean, church is a hospital for right sinners. Um, and so to my earlier point, if this, if this sin of racism or if the sin of partiality, however you want to define it um, is going to exist and it will, then I mean, you're going to run up against certain things. The question is, is how are you going to deal with it? Um, and so if you're looking for church to be a safe space where you're not going to have to deal with issues, then I would push back and say, I'm not quite sure what your definition of a church is. Um, so <laughs> not to sound harsh, but yeah, but let me let me add to that because I think there's an underappreciated element of the early New Testament church. Um, you know, so you have this new thing, right? This new 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 way uh, post resurrection about how people would be approved and accepted by God. You know, through the atoning work of Christ. Not that, you know, of course, God called his people. He called, you know, he called the Jews. He called Israel. And so Israel had, and there was Israel and there were Gentiles. But now post-resurrection, there's Jew and Gentile in one body. They're against the backdrop of a Jewish cultural heritage, against the backdrop of, of, of that uh, early Greco-Roman society, um, which had a completely different worldview than Christianity. And so you have folks coming from different pockets of society coming together with their cultural baggage and saying, okay, now you are one body in Christ. If we think there was not partiality, and we see that and in, in, in we know from the book of Acts that there was. We know from James chapter two that there was, you know, it, that you had, you know, different kind of suspicions and uh, uh, prejudices going on in the early church. But here's what they didn't have. They didn't have the first community church of comfortable choices that they could go run to when they, 
right? They didn't have that. They had to work stuff out and learn what it meant to be one in Christ, mm. not ignoring the issues, but keeping the main thing, keeping the priority, the priority. Right. And I would say, Marcos, church should be a safe space, right? It should be a safe space to be real, to be you, to wrestle with these issues, to to be able to step on somebody else's toes, to sin against your brother and, and hear from your brother, hey, you sinned against me and for me to, you know, repent and ask for forgiveness. Like, like church is a, the safe space to do that. Um, but church isn't the safe space to, um, you know, to have to avoid tension and conflict altogether. Now, that being said, you know, <laughs> you keep having the same conversation and get into it again and again, or, or you know, church certainly can be, mm. um, you know, hurtful in that regard. Um, so, yeah, it's not necessarily a place where you're thus compelled to continue to be, you know, mistreated. Or to in extreme cases abused continually, um, so but that's a completely different level than, than having tension. I think that's a that's a, a important distinction that you're making, though. There's there's being um, if you want to use the phrase racially sinned against, and there's being racially abused. And the way you seem to be describing them, Glenn, are two very different categories. And I think that that's a, that's a helpful distinction um, because there are those who have been abused. Um, mm -hmm. and, and there are some sins where a single sin is abuse. <laughs> and so it's not always as, as neat and clean as what I just described. But, but I wonder, Glenn, in your experience there in these multiple churches, especially maybe when you got to Virginia and it wasn't just church, but all around you were in um, predominantly white spaces. You were the only black family. Did you and your family ever discuss, Hey, maybe it's time for us to go look for a different kind of church. <laughs> so actually we, we did not in it quite honestly, it took us a while to, for us to even realize kind of that's where we were. Um, and it honestly, it took me even longer, a couple of reasons. One, as I described earlier, kind of my upbringing, I was kind of used to being in that context. So, mm. you know, for me, it was kind of a return to, to quote unquote normalcy. Um, and then the other thing, at least for me, is, you know, at the time I had a job where I traveled for work. So, you know, I was from Florida to D.C. to, to Memphis to wherever. So at least for me, there were several contexts in which certainly when I was visiting, you know, more rural parts of the country, I was the only, but, you know, when I was up in Northern Virginia, you know, it was a completely different scenario. So for me, you know, I was having experiences, those outlets were, wasn't impacting me as much. So um, I would say it's probably over the last five or six years, um, where particularly my wife and, and daughters, it's, it's impacted them more just being African-American women and just, you know, um, my sons are close in age, so they had each other, you know, but, you know, they didn't deal with some of the things my, my daughters dealt with, you know, nobody ever ran up and touched their hair or, or pulled their hair to watch it spring back or, or some of those things that, that my daughters have experienced. Um, so over the last several years, I would say we've started having those conversations, but I would also say, um, we, I guess maybe about six or seven years ago. Yeah, maybe about seven years ago, there was another African-American um, young lady. She was in college at the time who was, became a member of our church. 
And so they were, you know, at that point, we were no longer the only, and we were starting to see a little bit more um, ethnic diversity, um, as much as one could see in, in, in the area where we live. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, theology was, was very important to us. And, you know, if we wanted to stay in, um, certainly in reform circles, there weren't that many options, or there really aren't any other options, maybe one um, in the area. Um, now where that's really impacted us is, I don't know if Lisa shared with you, but we're actually moving um, the end of May, beginning of June um, to just outside of Durham, North Carolina. And certainly one of the things we talked about was we, as we look for a home church, we are, do not want to go back um, to an experience where we would be the only. Um, we definitely do want to stay, um, you know, in, in the PCA. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot more options um, there. So definitely, you know, particularly this phase in life, um, it, it's something that if we had to do, um, I guess um, we, we would consider it, but would not be our, our first choice. So, so walk me through. So let's say you have a choice, right? Mm -hmm. Between a predominantly white church, right? Where, you know, like the theology is solid, but mm -hmm. you're going to have to encounter the same kind of um, educational experiences, <laughs> to put it uh, diplomatically. Wow. <laughs> that, uh, Lisa, you, know, you can be a politician with that. Let's just be real. That's what they are, right? right? And I think we should embrace that because given what, so, you know, if we're looking at scripture, right, how we're supposed to be with one another, is it, I'm not going to answer that for you, or let I, you have a misunderstanding, let's have a conversation, which, which one is more grounded in scripture, really, um, but, so you have that option, but then you have a scenario where it's more, you know, it's more uh, ethnically mixed, but there are some ideas that are coming into the church, materials that are being used, that are really not so much grounded in scripture and there may be some conflict so what do you what do you choose the, the the theologically sound church where you know you have you know there what the issues are going to be there versus you know versus this other scenario well so if the other scenario is in a not theologically sound church then <clears throat> you know that's that's an easier answer um However, if the other church is theologically sound and it's a matter of, you know, which issues do I want to deal with? Um, I would probably say at this stage, and again, there's so many different variables, but we, we are tired of, of, of being the only. And again, I'd probably say it's impacted my family more than, than me, just because I do have other outlets and contexts. Um, but it, I mean, it definitely had an impact on, on our family, I mean, it had an impact on our marriage um, that, that um, you know, we didn't even realize until we started talking through some of that stuff. And so, um, again, not to compromise theology, not to compromise the gospel, not to compromise any of those things. Um, but, you know, if the question is, is which would I rather talk through? I'd rather have the conversation, you know, with leadership about, hey, are we exercising the best wisdom and how we're, we're shepherding the flock here, as opposed to having 
you know, 20 different education conversations, as you put it. (laughs) I I think a couple (laughs) things come to mind here. First is the cost um, that not just you, Glenn, and your family, but that many people of color feel being in predominantly white contexts. There is a cost. Like it's, it's, and, and maybe folks don't want to hear that, but the, it can get tiring. Um, having to have to be the educator, um, often when you are emotionally hurting, because or with the times to educate are the times when something's happened, you're hurting, and someone goes, now explain to me exactly why you're hurting. And you have to suddenly switch from grieving to educating. That's, uh, that's hard. And um, I think what, what I would encourage people who hear this, if you're in a church and you know there is only one or two families who are not your ethnicity, understand the cost that they are paying to stay there um, for theological reasons or for location reasons or for uh, or, or yeah, theological reasons. And I want to be part of helping this church become more diverse or become more more multicultural. There is a cost that's being paid. Um, and the second thing is going to get me a little more trouble. There is. I, I'll just say this. If you start to have to have multiple education conversations, then you have a theological problem. Um, Then it's not theologically sound, no matter what title is up front, no matter how reformed they might be, no matter how close they stick to confessions. If you're constantly having to tell folks that racism is wrong or why this is racist or why that's racist or why that hurts, isn't that evidence of of a pretty strong theological problem there? I don't know. I'm gonna leave that to you guys to, to talk, but it seems you know, like I, I'll let Glenn before Glenn answers that. I'm gonna say I think it depends on the person too. I think there are some people who are more sensitive, you know, and it could be because of past experiences. It could be their own temperament, um, you know, especially when you look at what's going on, the conversation that's going on in the broader culture. Um, you know, it's easy to kind of ride those coattails and then impose that upon situations. And so I think that there's a range of sensitivities that you have, because listen, let's be honest, there are Black folks in the PCA, not many, I mean, I would love to have some kind of uh, empirical evidence of, of this, but I suspect just, just anecdotally, just from observation, that there are Black folks like that it doesn't bother them one little that they're the only one that, you know, that people have um, misconstrued or, or it, you know, so, and in some cases, ignorant ideas, you know, there's uh, uh, some, sometimes you're dealing with latent uh, prejudices, you know, and there are some folks that really, you know, that it doesn't bother them, right? And then on the, to the extreme, you have those and, you know, especially the ones that are using, you know, the hashtag leave loud are saying, these people don't love me. They don't love me for me. And therefore I cannot stay. Um, and so to me, like there's a, there's a balance in there. Like, you know, it, there's, there's a question that needs to be asked of ourselves. You know, am I, is this a situation where people really are not being loving? 
Or is this a, you know, is this a situation where I'm maybe being hypersensitive, you know, and that takes some, you know, it takes prayer. It, it takes probably some uh, a listening uh, ear or two of some good counsel. Um, because on one hand, you're right, you don't want to be in an abusive situation, but you also don't want to impose upon a situation or exaggerate things that are really not to the not to the level that maybe we want to make them. And so there's this, this spectrum, um, you know, across the board. Um, yeah, and to, to go back to Marcos, your question as well, and I don't remember if you guys talked about this or used these exact words, if it was, I think it might've been another podcast I was listening to, but you talked about the, the um, orthodoxy and, and orthopraxy. And those two can't be divorced, right? Um, so, so yes, if I'm in a context where I have to keep having educational conversations, um, yes, there is an application issue. Um, and, and I do think we do have a tendency to, to divorce um, kind of the orthodoxy from orthopraxy, um, which is not, not healthy, right? Um, I think, Lisa, you said, um, you've all said this, but I remember you saying this a couple weeks ago, right? It's word and deed. Um, and, and so you've got to have both. And so, you know, particularly in this conversation and quite candidly, as I think about a lot of the culture war conversations that, that we have, um, particularly in the PCA, um, this is where, I mean, scripture in our catechisms, I mean, if you read the catechism um, on the sixth commandment in the affirmations of what we are supposed to do um, in order to obey the sixth commandment rightly, I'm like, <laughs> there's enough in there that not a single one of us can um, can certainly uh, 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 practice all those in the way that they should be. And quite honestly, a lot of the conversations that we have, right, the big ones, right, race and abortion. Like I've had people say, well, I don't think you care enough about abortion. I'm like, why? Because I don't talk about it in the way that you do. I'm like, you know, and, and you know, to be fair, sometimes we could be just as guilty in this race race conversation, right? Just because somebody doesn't engage in this issue the same way that I do, doesn't mean that they don't care. Um, you know, I say often, far too often, we have what I like to call the holier cause arguments. Um, whereas if we're gonna be, strive as individuals and then collectively as a body of Christ um, to affirm the sixth commandment, I, I don't even understand why we're having a lot of these debates. Um, but <clears throat> Lisa, I'm gonna let you follow up that one. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm just di I'm digesting it uh, because I think at the end of the day, it really, you know, each situation is different. And one of one of my concerns is that when we start talking about well, we need to leave these white spaces, then it becomes this generic prescription for for every, you know, Greg, oh, you know, this person said this and therefore I need to jet. Whereas, you know, there, there are complexities here we need to deal with, you know, who, what is leadership saying, right? Who's, you know, how, how what is the take of the session on, on these issues? You know, are we talking about, you know, attitudes coming from there or just a pocket from the con from the congregation because that's two different dynamics. Let's face it, um, 
And so I think that each, it seems to me, like each situation has to be, has to be measured on its own merit according to the dynamics that are involved. And sometimes these are not, these are not easy decisions, right? Um, especially when you perceive that, you know, you're in a, you're in a local congregation that is really not caring about you. Um, so on one hand, you don't want to be, you don't want to be too rash, right? But on the other hand, you, you want to have eyes wide open and really ask some hard questions about what's really, what is really going on here and be, you know, be patient, be loving, like Glenn said, have the hard conversations. But, um, but it's, I think there's a balance and you have, you have to weigh everything, um, you know, to make those decisions. You know, I think um, what I hope that this conversation and also what I hope the Leave Loud um, podcasts and articles do is I hope that they drive people to talk to their sessions or talk to their pastors, um, have those conversations, say, hey, where are we at? Because I'm hearing these stories. And, um, you know, sometimes the way leadership responds to stories can tell a lot. Um, be like, oh, so you you've just called all these people heretics. Okay, well, that that tells me something or you're or you hear where they're coming from and you love them and you're trying to do better and you're trying to be better. That tells you a lot too. like have the conversation with your local church leadership, because we do have that tendency. Lisa, you just mentioned it to hear the static online or to hear people's stories and hear what their experiences have been internalize those ourselves and then make decisions. And your local church is saying, yeah, but we're not them. Like, what are you, why, why would you leave us just because they were in a situation where they had to leave? Uh, I think, yes, go back to the, this is why, you know, people talk about how at family discussion, we're constantly driving people to the local church. There's a reason for that. Your local church is is where you should go with these conversations that you're seeing online, these stories that you're hearing, because I think that's where real healthy growth and progress can happen. Um, Glenn, you're, you're in your experience as a ruling elder, mm-hmm. you've talked about how Christ the King has diversified some over these last uh, you know, few years. And I just wonder, what has that been like for your congregants? Um, have they felt like they can, they have the freedom to come and talk to you and, and to share what their experiences are like? Like, how have you created that space as a session so that you can become more diverse? Um, all right, if I can kind of go back a little bit. Um, just even how we define diversity, right? So obviously we're talking about ethnically at this point, but let me go back. So one of the things when our, our filing pastor went on sabbatical, um, the, the studies escaped me, but it's um, the guy who did Peacemakers. He did a follow-up to Peacemakers. Yeah, Sandy, Ken Sandy. Yeah, Ken Sandy. He did a follow-up to Peacemakers, and I forget the class, but it really was around just kind of <laughs> how to be more effective and in, in, in be proactive before we can get to the point where we have to be, be doing Peacemaking. Um, so that was one study we did. And then another book we read, and this was right around um, the time where even the PCA was starting to have these discussions, was a book called The Compelling Community um, by Mark Devers, and I forget the other gentleman. And it really talked about how can you as a church kind of be a place where people look at you and be like, why on earth are all those people um, together? That doesn't make any sense. 
And so we did a, a Sunday school class and, and I would say half of the class um, focused on, on race because um, that was kind of the conversation at the time within the denomination. But we also looked at what are other differences or things that could potentially divide us. So, you know, we had uh, a, a week where we had folks who homeschool, had a panel with a homeschooler, Christian school and, and public school and just talked about those differences and how we could be a good family. We had a woman share, you know, talk about being um, an ethnic minority in the PCA, maybe be single or, <laughs> you know, have a, um, a spouse um, who's not a believer. Um, so, you know, we had somebody share, share with us about what that experience is like. We have a few families with special needs kids. Um, so we had a Sunday where, where those folks talked about what it's, you know, a challenge to have special needs kids and to be a special needs parent, because um, that's a need too. Um, so we kind of cultivated an ethos where we um, could be welcoming to those differences, to, to celebrate those differences and be willing to have conversation not only come to talk to us as leadership, but have those conversations. Um, you know, we also have, are, are blessed to have community groups, which is another great um, form and avenue um, in which to have these conversations. I know for us, you know, our community group has been phenomenal in just hearing us talk about, you know, our stories and experiences and prayed with us and cried with us and, you know, advocated for, for my son in a situation where he needed character witnesses, um, you know, in a kind of a ridiculous court case. Um, so, so I would say, you know, really over that time as we've talked about just difference and how we can celebrate the differences that, that we have within our church body that exist already, um, I think prepared us as, as we grew in um, diversity ethnically um, and, and also kind of the, another way in which we've grown in diversity is age. Um, yeah, I would say the first five years or so, overwhelmingly, our church was, you know, young families um, and, and young couples. Um, we've, we've even grown over that. So I think as we focused not necessarily intentionally on race um, or only on race, but as we focused on what is it, what does it look like to be effective in our community and where we are locally? Because I think that's important because, you know, Ministering in Southwest Roanoke, um, Virginia, which is you know maybe six percent non-white, um, is going to look very different than you know even Roanoke City, a few miles away, which is you know fifty percent non-white. Um, and so, you know, how are we going to be most effective? How are we going to be a blessing in the Oak Grove neighborhood here in this in this part of Roanoke, not ignoring the rest of of our city, but certainly how can we you know, be the most effective in, in where we are. And so I think in doing that has facilitated um, that welcoming environment, um, that, that comfortable environment in which people are, are able to have conversations and sometimes difficult ones. I mean, we still don't agree on everything. Um, and, and like, that is okay, um, depending on the tone and level of disagreement, right? So I don't want to just say any disagreement is, is allowable. There's certainly an appropriate way to, to engage in those things. Um, but by the same token, I mean, heck, my wife and I don't see eye to eye everything on this issue. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, so the disagreement within the family of faith is to be expected, uh, especially on, on issues like this. But um, 
you know, that that's a good word that, to build the community and build the space where you can have these conversations. Uh, Lisa, do you have a final question for Glenn? Uh, I have one last one maybe to, to wrap up with, but uh, anything else before we, we head towards the close? No, I, well, I mean, the one on my mind is, of course, when we think about what, what makes us stay, and, and Glenn mentioned it a few minutes ago, it's theological. You know, and so Glenn, where where do you go to scripture, right? When you have these, when you when you've bumped up against these attitudes, and you know, where where do you go to say, you know what, this is the family of God, you know, this is this is is where I am. Where where do you go? What is your theological premise for staying? Um, so I would say the the passage I go to the most is Matthew eighteen. Um, and not verses 15 through 17, um, right? Typically, we think of Matthew 18, 15 through 17, right? If your brother sins, go talk to him. If not, mm-hmm. go take two. Nah, we know that. Um, but verses 21 through 35, um, right? So after that is where, you know, Peter asked Jesus, how often should I forgive my brother? You know, seven, Jesus says 70 times seven. Um, then he goes into the parable about the... Um, the um, servant who went to his master, asked to be forgiven, was forgiven the great debt. And then he went out to his fellow servant and didn't want to forgive the, the little debt. And so <laughs> that's really where I go is you know, how, how should I engage with my brother? Um, and, and if we're going to be... Um, you know, this, this body of Christ, if we're going to be this, this example of what, you know, relationships are to look like, as difficult as they may be, then I've got to be willing to, number one, have those hard, hard conversations. I have to have um, a forgiving spirit um, and, and be willing to allow time for that to happen. Now, that does not mean I overlook sin. That doesn't mean I overlook unrepentant sin, because even in that parable, right, when he went to his fellow servant, the guy said, hey, I messed up. Please forgive me. So it's not like he was just like, hey, we don't really have anything to talk about. That's a completely different conversation. Mm. <laughs> right? Yeah, so that's not to excuse somebody overlooking or dismissing. Um, but if people are willing to engage in conversation, then I have to allow for the Lord's timeline to be sufficient. Um, as opposed to the timeline I would want. So Glenn, uh, last question, because that, that was just a, I hesitate to even ask, because that was a wonderful way to, to move us towards the end. But as you are, you know, preparing to move, um, you've already stated you want to stay in the PCA. You've been in the PCA for a long time. You've seen the PCA go through quite a bit of stuff. As you look ahead, and, and maybe this is a question for both of you because you're both in the PCA, what is your hope? What is your dream for the PCA when it comes to race and justice conversations going forward? I mean, not to necessarily oversimplify it, but it comes back to something I alluded to earlier. Let's live what we say we believe. Um, you know, <laughs> If we're going to to engage all of Scripture, um, and, and Scripture speaks about all of these things, right? I think it was a couple of weeks ago you guys were talking about 
um, kind of the distinction between, you know, Paul and in the Old Testament and, and all those different things, right? And, and like, I don't see, there's not a difference between those two, right? The, the, the story of the Bible is the story of the Bible. And its application certainly is different in various contexts. Um, but if, if we say we're going to affirm you know, the authority of scripture, the supremacy of Christ, you know, all these, all these great theological foundations, um, then let's be willing to go out and live them. Um, and that's going to be difficult. That's going to be hard, but, you know, nobody else has, has the context. Nobody else has, has the answers. Um, you know, we, we know that these answers are, are, are found in scripture. And not that the PCA, you know, obviously, you know, as much as sometimes we would like to think we uh, are the, the best understanders of scripture, um, you know, um, let's, let's go out and, and live and, and apply um, what we say we believe. Because I think when we do that, um, then, yeah, they're going to be hard conversations, um, but, but we can truly be um, a beacon we can truly be salt and light and um, help model what it looks like um, to, to be the church. I mean, it's what, you know, Lisa mentioned earlier about the New Testament. That's what they did. You know, they, they worked through all these issues and, and discussed them and processed them. And so let's, let's be that. Yeah. And I would say for me, it's, it's going, it, it really is going back to the local church, um, Marcos, to kind of echo what you were saying and not allowing the broader conversation to dictate what we do within it. Allow scripture to dictate it. And that also means, because scripture is meant to confront us. It's meant to confront us about our sin, about our blind spots, about where we are unloving, where we are not considering, right, in the interest of Philippians 2, 3, to look out for the interest of others, but have that be more important than our own, and so, you know, allow, you know, that as we are in our local context, focused on Christ, pointing to him, but also allowing his word to change us, so that we can be the community of believers that is meant to reflect his glory. And that's not just multi-ethnic, right? We talk about a church of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Um, in some part, look, in, a, in rural America, it's not gonna look very multi-ethnic. So, you know, let, let's again, what does your local context look like? And how are you operating as a church in your local context? Um, and that, that would be, that would be my hope that we could, you know, that we could come together, we could see ourselves, more importantly, we can see Christ and see how we are supposed to reflect his glory. Hey, man, Glenn Burkle is our guest today. He is a ruling elder at Christ the King in Roanoke, Virginia. Glenn, thank you for being with us today. Lisa, thanks for putting this together. Uh, and for all of you who listened, I know we said we were going away for a while. Thanks for jumping back in with us a couple weeks after uh, season finale. Just to, to listen to this important conversation, we may do this again a handful of times before our next uh, our next season. If there is an issue that comes up and we feel like, hey, we got to talk 
talk about it. There might be another bonus episode, another special episode down the way. But um, like like we've all said, our hope is allow the conversation that we just had to drive you back into your local church. Talk to your leadership. If you hear stories of folks who are leaving loud, um, there are reasons to leave. Don't don't immediately say, oh, well, but I listened to family discussion and they said to stay. No, there are reasons to leave. There are also reasons to stay. Talk to your leadership. Pray through this. Go to the word. See what the Lord is calling you to do. Uh, thank you all for being with us today. This has been a bonus episode of Family Discussion. We will see you again next time. Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's Family Discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next Family Discussion. <laughs>